the baby boomers led waves of dramatic culture changes. Their voices raise awareness of consumerism, retirement programs, higher education, health care, and civil rights transformations. Now, the baby boomers have reached an age where it is our turn to give back to them for their voices, their struggles, and their footprint on the society we benefit from today. Boomer Living Podcast is dedicated to the support and the enhancement of senior living and the baby boomers' needs and demands. We welcome conversations between caregivers, providers, gerontologists, geriatricians, neurologists, technologists, developers, and operators with one objective to serve our baby boomers. By bringing together these experts and the baby boomers' families, we can share our knowledge that will educate and inspire others on how to care for the baby boomers. We're a social platform that focuses on the respect and care of this aging population that gave their youth and their wisdom to the society we benefit from today. Today on the program, we have Dr. Matthew Lefferman, who will be talking to us about geriatric mobile medical care. Alternative care methods like mobile care and telehealth are becoming more and more prevalent these days. So I'm very excited to learn more from uh, Dr. Lefferman. And thank you so much for being with us today to share your expertise around geriatric mobile medical care. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk and to share. Thank you. What originally got you interested in uh, geriatric care? I always had very good relationships with my grandparents and actually my wife's grandparents as well. And when I was going through the medical school and residency process, just felt connected to that population. And the more I learned, the more I saw that there was a gap as far as the quality of care not being provided to to seniors and really felt charged and to connect with that population. It's not glamorous medicine. All the time, it's not you know like doing heart surgery. It's a lot of social work. It's a lot of psychology, psychiatry. It's end of life care. It really runs a gamut. But for myself personally, it suits my personality. That's wonderful. I think we need more folks like you, physicians and technologists, to help the uh, aging population, especially when now we have ten thousand plus turning sixty five plus years old from now until gosh two thousand thirty. So thank you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. So I know that your expertise is at least partially in uh, geriatric mobile medical care. Can you start by giving us a brief overview of what this is exactly? My practice is focused on care of patients in assisted living communities. I also go to patients' private homes, and I also go to uh, nursing homes. But I would say that the one area in particular that I saw a gap when I was starting my practice was the assisted living community. And uh, you had uh, residents who were paying many thousands of dollars to reside and were expecting some modicum of medical care. And you had nurses on site, but not necessarily engaged as far as affecting positive health in their residents. So by myself being on site, being able to connect with the team, being able to prevent residents from having to go out to the doctor. It really, it's been extremely beneficial for the patients and facilities that I serve as far as proactively managing their medical care, as far as getting labs, testing in the community, and really as far as preventing hospitalization, which more and more is a buzzword in the medical world is keeping patients 
out of the hospital. And I like to think that we're aggressively managing uh, a frail elderly population and uh, keeping them out of the hospital. And nowadays, that is a huge savior. Thank you. I'm sure Sure. during the midst of the pandemic, you have been a great savior to many families and older adults. Are the uh, seniors that you're seeing with your mobile medical care, are they mostly seniors living in their own homes or are they at senior care facilities? So I probably have about a third of my patients who are in private homes and closer to about two thirds who are in assisted living and in communities in the greater Los Angeles area. There are a couple of different types of assisted living. There's board and care, which are like smaller home group homes, which can have up to six residents and then the larger assisted living. So I do a, a combination of both. It's hard to have a, a Medicare practice that's going home to home, but by going to assisted livings, I can see more patients at, at one time and it makes it more feasible. So what opportunities does the option of mobile medical care give to the seniors? Like what specific groups of seniors are most benefited from the mobile medical care? You know, with you mentioned the recent COVID pandemic, which yes, has been tragic and has affected the our patients and facilities to a significant degree. So with the pandemic, there's been a rise in demand for for on-site care because you have patients who don't want to go out to sit in a waiting room. They don't want to go to the hospital to get tests and and procedures. We're seeing more and more demand from patients who previously would have been happy to go sit in a waiting room, watch Ellen on TV, like that was their outing. But more and more, they don't want to go out. But I would say the the sweet spot, so to speak, are the, the residents in assisted living communities who have a harder time getting out to the doctor. Maybe they have mobility issues or there are cognitive issues. And it frequently takes not just a driver to get them to where they want to go, frequently it requires a, a caregiver or a CNA to go with them. And so there's a lot of time and resources that are involved, especially those patients with cognitive decline, and in particular, those who are residing in memory care of assisted livings, it's particularly helpful. Telehealth has also been on the rise recently due to the pandemic. Can you share with us how this has impacted the demand for your services? Sure. We never really did uh, video chats, but we've done a lot of telephone triage over the years. But one of the positive responses of the federal government has been the, the changes regarding telemedicine. I think it was approximately middle of March as the COVID pandemic was uh, heating up. They made some changes which allowed for telemedicine for Medicare patients, not just in rural areas, but in urban areas, and also did not require a a HIPAA secure platform. We do have a a HIPAA secure platform, which we like to use, but we found that most patients prefer using using FaceTime, and that's generally the, the easiest. From our perspective, it takes a person on the other end of the line because frequently our patients are unable to navigate technology. So that has certainly been a challenge as far as making sure there's someone on the other line turning on the iPad or the phone and connecting with us. We like to connect with nurses. I've had you know, one building that because their driver hasn't been transporting their residents to doctor's appointments, the driver has been the one who's been taking the iPad around. And it does make it challenging for myself as a physician Obviously, there's limited information 
to get from the driver as he's taking me around. But I would say that we've been able to meet our productivity that we were at before COVID through telemedicine. And that was, let's say, through March up until about a month ago. And in the past month, we've been back out in communities as we were previously. And the adjunct of telemedicine, in addition to -to face-to-face visits, is extremely helpful for those urgent visits and for patients who are in outlying areas that it's difficult for us to get to. Thank you. Sure. Wow. That's great of your dedication and your service. Now, do you see, let's say, in which circumstances would you recommend mobile medical care instead of telehealth? I found that there was, as I was doing more and more telemedicine visits, there was a certain amount of fatigue on the part of the communities that I was going to. I would say that it's not as much one over the other. I think it's hard to do just one or just the other. I think the challenge now is blending the two together. So how do you coordinate uh, doing face-to-face visits and then also doing telemedicine visits and picking the right, the sweet spot as far as patients who are uh, appropriate? And additionally, from a provider perspective, it's a matter of how do I coordinate my schedule so that I'm available for those telemedicine visits? Because if I'm out in the field, it's hard to just stop and do a telemedicine visit. So I try and schedule them at the end of my day when I'm back back in my office. But you know, over the years, we've tried to coordinate any number of specialists to go to assisted living communities, not just myself as a physician. We like to collaborate with podiatrists, optometrists, physical therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. I would recommend to all of them to try and balance to balance the two, but it's all possible through telemedicine. So basically, do you see them as an either or solution or could it help some seniors to use both together? That's what it sounds like. Is that right? Yes. My recommendation and what I've you know found in best practice that we're moving forward with is being able to juggle the two because there's a certain sense of fatigue as far as technology and just mm-hmm. using technology. And we've had a number of canceled appointments or and, and they're canceled because the nurses don't want to make themselves available and they get busy with their day. Plus, there's a senior medicine is very is very hands on. That connection is is really important. And I've seen decline in my senior population, even though the residents, let's say, have had connection with their family through FaceTime. There's still been significant decline because that's not the same as being there in person feeling, touching someone, Mm -hmm. smelling someone, utilizing all the senses. That's really important for seniors. I I agree with you. I think technology has been a great savior during this time, right? For obvious reasons. To tell you, it will never come near sitting next to mom, maybe taking her for a walk, sharing a meal with her, because depending on their acuity or where they are, perhaps in, uh, let's say, dementia, It's not about words, right? Sometimes they may not speak as much. It's about being present and seeing their overall disposition. Technology has been great. Wow. It just allows us to do what you and I are doing right now, make connections, push out a very important message and service of what you're doing. But I still one-on-one and I'm sure loved ones want to be near their mom or dad. We've had significant decline from, from COVID in terms of deaths, but we've had almost an equal amount of deaths, I would say, from that lack of connectivity and from being locked down. And Mm -hmm. I've been calling it pandemic-related lockdown decline. 
but it's a real thing. And I think that's going to be a large part of the story five years from now when we look back at the COVID crisis. It's a fine balance, right? Keeping folks safe. And how do you do that to to have them continue to thrive and engage for their overall well-being? And that's very important. Okay. I know you also have expertise regarding dementia and cannabis. Can you tell us about the research? What it is saying about the connection between the two? Sure. I recently had a chance to present to the Cala Conference, the California Assisted Living Association, regarding this topic, somewhat timely because there were several states in the the election that approved medical marijuana, and even Oregon, interestingly, went a step further and has approved small amounts of other narcotics. It's an interesting time as far as the use of marijuana and use of cannabis. And my recommendation is, and my general overview of this topic is that you have to tread lightly because it is still federally illegal and statewide, it's still a gray area as far as using cannabis. But there's enough evidence that it's not being prosecuted. And if you're using it as an alternative to the narcotics, to the benzodiazepines, to the antipsychotics that have significant uh, side effects, it is a helpful adjunct. And you're using, if you're using it under the the guidance of a physician. And specifically related to its use in dementia, there are some limited clinical trials. Unfortunately, there have been very few clinical trials because of cannabis's iffy legal status. There's been a lot of bench research, research in animals, which has showed a positive uh, correlation between lack of reducing the effects of dementia in patients who are using cannabis. Hopefully that research will improve over time. There is more research regarding the effects on some of the the symptoms of dementia beyond just the cognitive effects, trouble sleeping, pain, as far as lack of mobility, as far as the anxiety and agitation. And so it, it is cannabis is a helpful adjunct in all of those conditions as well. So a lot of baby boomers grew up being told that cannabis was a dangerous drug and may even hurt the brain. So has it been hard to convince them otherwise? And what tactics do you use to convince these seniors to use it as a uh, therapeutic? Sure. I think knowledge is power. And I think that as physicians, we're trusted for our opinions, nurses and nurse practitioners and other healthcare providers as well. So I think the more we see healthcare providers taking the time to look at the research, to educate themselves, then I think you'll see more acceptance among the public. But there certainly is, there's a lot of noise out there as far as the benefits of cannabis. And so patients on their own, families on their own are, are hearing about it and saying, hey, what do, you, what do you think about this? What do you think about this product? I try and proactively recommend it myself. But I think it, it takes a, a few minutes of education, which not every healthcare provider feels like they have, because it's complicated. You're not just, it's not like you can just call the pharmacy and say, I want this blood pressure medication, and they're going to deliver it. There's so many options out there. There are different routes of administration and different brands. So it's hard to just call a pharmacy and say, send over 50 milligrams of cannabis. So it takes some research as far as a family, finding a brand, finding a route of administration that's appropriate. And as much as anything, the education 
piece also pertains to the assisted living communities because there's still a lot of lack of understanding and uh, kind of uneasiness as far as using these products. But to me, if as long as they're the assisted living communities are storing them, having them in the MAR like they do, their other medications, checking off when they're administered, monitoring for side effects, then it's they can be used uh, safely. So a lot of monitoring and tread lightly and uh, proceed with caution. Correct. And there's so many brands and different options out there. People are learning and hopefully in five years, there'll be a, a better understanding. And it'll be easier for a doctor to just say, I want to order cannabis and a pharmacy can deliver, let's say, a a, a standard uh, dosing regimen. That's new information. Thank you for sharing that. That's on the horizon. Okay. On a personal level, what do you think is your biggest strength that enables you to have a unique, impactful effect on the older adults? I guess something that isn't well known about you personally. I connected well to to my grandparents, to my wife's grandparents. I am a of the Jewish faith, and so I do spend a fair amount of time in synagogue, and that provides for another opportunity. It has over the years it's provided opportunities for me to connect with with the elderly as well and to see them in a different in a different setting and have a chance to to interact with them. That has helped to enhance my a connection and understanding of seniors. And in COVID, having that continued religious connection and faith connection has been grounding for me and continues to allow me to grow, even though I feel like so many avenues are shut off, although Zoom, there are many more activities to connect with others. But the synagogues, at least in the Los Angeles area, have tried to find creative ways to engage their their membership, some having outdoor services. And as I've been able to engage through those, it's helped me to still feel grounded and connected. And so that has been helpful for me. Amen to that. I feel the same way. I'm from Michigan, and there's been a few occasions that our church is held outdoor. But I'm not sure what's going to happen when now we're getting to be 30 degrees in Michigan right now. But yeah, I think it's a great idea at all times. But I think particularly during this time, we need to be grounded, whether it's spiritually or whatever means it is for people. And a chance to engage with family, not just, you know, everyone It's quick for the kids to to be on their their devices. But to force them to have a time to come together as a family is really important, especially now. Have you given thought on how you want to experience your own aging journey? Yes. As I have watched my patients age, I've had my own practice now about 12 years or so. It has you know, forced me to uh, reconcile what is inevitable. And another personal somewhat anecdote is that I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes two years ago. So it's, you know, there was a personal journey through, you know, through understanding and changing and better changing my lifestyle and, and better preparing myself for what would be ahead. And for myself, that's involved a lot of you know time learning about how to eat better, how to exercise better. And I spend a fair amount of time focused on myself, which with kids over many years, my focus very much is my kids. But I'm at a point now where I said I've realized I have to focus more on myself. So as far as taking time to exercise every day or as many days as possible, taking the time to eat, it's really crucial 
And so I, I see the those patients who really thrive and make it into their 90s, hundreds. There's no there's no one solution, but it seems like they're the ones who are active. They don't smoke. They don't drink to excess. And I see as well that they tend to have a strong connection. We talked a little bit about the family connection, a religious connection. I think that's really important as well. So creating that healthy balance is, and really dedicating time to myself, I think is really, is it has been my approach. No, I love it. I think everything you describe, my husband and I would echo that. I think during the pandemic, it's very easy to stay down because I feel like the whole world is on mute. But I think it's very important to take care of yourself, whether you know, you're with kids or with or without kids, because your overall well-being, I can't speak enough. If you're not grounded physically, mentally, spiritually, you can't really give much of yourself to your children. Anyhow, I disagree everything that you're saying. I think it's great. And thank you for sharing that. Sure. Do you have anything else that you would like to share with the listeners? No, this has been a a great forum. And I, I would just say that the senior community has been heroic for the most part. And that there are instances of tragedy over the past six, seven months with COVID. It's easy to blame, but we should be aware of the the heroic acts of the healthcare workers on the front line. I think my feeling in assessing the healthcare, the general healthcare talk in the general community related to the election is that there still is not enough discussion about seniors. And there still is not enough discussion about how we can help keep seniors active. The tragedy that happened in nurse, you know, with COVID deaths in nursing homes should not happen again. And I think we as a those who care about seniors and involved in senior health care need to keep the pressure on and try and create awareness. And that's what I'm hopefully this platform can do that because we need to have our voices heard. Really important that there's more health care being provided. And if you look at the Affordable Care Act, there have been 20 million new enrollees, and that's amazing. But when you look at 50 million seniors over the age of 65 in America, that's a huge population, and they deserve our attention uh, and focus. And hopefully, that will be an increasing part of the public discourse. And I think we all need to do what we can to let our members uh, of Congress know, to have discussions and forums like this, to energize people to increase the awareness of the need for more health care, for better health care for our senior population. Amen to that. I could not have said that better myself. Thank you. Very much needed. And everything that you describe is the driving force behind this forum, because I think there are so many people very impactful like yourself that wants to positively serve the aging population. 10,000 a day turning 65 plus for up until 2030. I think we should amplify that message. There's great, compassionate, empathetic folks serving every day. Thank you so much for this opportunity to talk to us. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It was nice to connect. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Boomer Living Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, boomerliving.tv, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and other platforms. 
This way, you'll never miss a show. And while you're at it, if you found value in this show, we would really appreciate a rating in iTunes or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us tremendously. Be sure to tune in weekly for our next episode. And remember, growing old is the purest and the most positive experience of human existence.